Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. My name is Solange Peters. I'm the head of medical oncology in Lausanne in Switzerland, and I would like to discuss with you the potential risks of neoadjuvant and adjuvant immunotherapy in resectable non-small cell lung cancer. It's a focus on safety of such strategies. We have been seeing this uh, amazingly growing network of trials uh, across companies, as you can see, and using the usual compounds, anti-PD-1, anti-PDL-1, in the adjuvant and the neoadjuvant setting. We already have the reading of two adjuvant trials, the IAM Power 10, with one year of atezolizumab being given after surgery and chemo, and Keynote 091, giving pembrolizumab for one year after surgery, plus minus chemo led to the investigation. We also have seen the wonderful data of Checkmate 816, which is three cycle of neoadjuvant chemo IO before surgery, a short treatment which ends at surgery. And the landscape, as you can see, is going to be enormously uh, larger, is <laughs> going to grow a lot with all the readings of these uh, ongoing trials. Please be aware that the MERMED program was closed, but is still on that slide because of the historical construct. We have been seeing these two adjuvant trials that I discuss uh, in another uh, discussion, in another recording, but very importantly, the IAM Power 10 and the PULSE trial use adjuvant immunotherapy for a year after radical surgery for stage 1B to stage 3, non-sport cell lung cancer, according to the 7CLM classification. And as you can see, both reflect a benefit of immunotherapy versus uh, observation of placebo in this uh, surgically resected patients. Of course, and points, stratification factors are slightly different, but the strategy is beneficial. We now a registration of uh, atezolizumab for one year in stage 2 to 3A, positive PDL one patients in the US, China and Japan, and more than 50% non-small cell lung cancer in Europe, and uh, a potential ITT uh, intended submission for pembrolizumab, but which is ongoing. Of course, when you deliver uh, immunotherapy in the adjuvant setting. You probably remember that in melanoma, there was some suspicion that the profile of toxicity and even the magnitude of toxicity, the safety issues, could be slightly different, even majored, more important, more importantly observed as compared to metastatic setting. Uh, on this slide, you can see in IAM Power 10, the grade 3 and 4 uh, related treatment-related adverse event evaluated at 10% of the patients with 28% leading to interruption and interestingly 8% being grade 3, 4 immune-mediated adverse event. So basically in terms of numbers for treatment-related grade 3, 4 as well as immune-mediated adverse event, it's very comparable with metastatic disease. Maybe the dose interruption is slightly higher, but keep in mind that the adjuvant setting is a setting where compliance has always been shown to be way inferior to any kind of metastatic setting. And this is about the recognition of the fact that in the adjuvant setting, we do, do treat a certain number of patients who are already cured and they have to be informed about it. But basically, no unexpected uh, toxicities. For the PERS trial, the pembrolizumab trial, here I wanted to show the adverse events, right? And particularly here, the adverse events which you usually suspect for immunotherapy. And to make a long story short, I would say if you look at the pembro and the placebo, it's quite interesting to see that when you deliver placebo, you also observe some 
from toxicities, which means that the disease has its own impact, right? And basically, again, absolutely no unexpected adverse event. And very importantly, the same safety profile as it was observed when pembrolizumab is used as monotherapy in advanced non-small cell lung cancer. So what do you do in the adjuvant setting when you uh, have toxicities, you encounter toxicities? And now we can speak mainly about the adjuvant setting because we have a very low level of uh, information about neoadjuvant. But uh, anyway, think about applying immunotherapy in the curative intern setting. In the adjuvant setting, you need, of course, to be very conservative. Remember that the adjuvant definition means that you treat at least, if not more, one patient out of two without any impact because the disease really relapse anyway or because the patient is already cured. So basically, it's about applying the guidelines. And on the next slide, you see the ESMO guidelines, which are in pre-proof because they just were accepted. You need to apply exactly these guidelines, which to me are the most, I would say, easy to use and recent guidelines, by the way. You have to apply that in the conservative manner. Remember that on the contrary of stage four disease, some of your patients will not need this immunotherapy or not extract any benefits. So apply guidelines line by line conservatively. Doing that, mortality should be close to zero, if not zero percent. So the first slide I have shown is about... Uh, in general, the uh, cutaneous side effects, which happen quite often, I must say, the rash. But of course, we always try to consider in lung cancer the risk of pneumonitis. So lung cancer infiltrates, particularly because you do follow-up of these patients every three to four months. So what to do if you have an infiltrate with our symptom, a grade one, and so on and so forth. So very important guidelines uh, on this uh, slide uh, on lung cancer toxicity. Let's move on the next slide about neoadjuvant strategy. Neoadjuvant strategy poses, imposes additional questions. The first question is to know if you take any risk of not being able to perform radical surgery. So it's a very important question. Do you take any risk of ruining the curative intent uh, strategy and context. So we have these two trials, Checkmate 816 against three cycle of Nivo Chemo versus Chemo, followed by surgery. We have another phase two trial, the NADIM2, which is against three cycle of Nivo Chemo versus Chemo, followed by surgery, but restricted to this very locally advanced disease, stage 3A and 3B. So let's look at what we know for this trial. So we know that it's quite amazing. The pathological complete response goes from 2 to 24 percent with the nivolumab in checkmate 816 from 7 to 37 percent in NADIM2. So amazing pathological complete response and amazing hazard ratio for EFS 0.63, 0.48 respectively for checkmate 816 and NADIM2. So really showing a super high magnitude of benefit. Just keep in mind, one thing I did not precise uh, is NADIM2 has an additional six months, not one year, but six months of uh, post-operative immunotherapy, which is not the case in Checkmate 816. So let's look on the next slide as patient dispositions and surgery. If you look at NIVO chemo versus chemo, in the NIVO chemo, you have 94% of the patient completing the neoadjuvant treatment and only 85 uh, in the chemo arm which makes you think that the addition of nivolumab is not a reason why patients would discontinue or be poorly exposed and posed in terms of dose intensity to the injection treatment. So very reassuring data. If you look at surgery, 83% had definitive surgery in the nivo chemo, 
which is maybe worrisome because 17% did not. So what happened with this patient? Is it reflecting your daily practice? So patients are eligible, they start the treatment, and they don't go to surgery. 17 looks a lot. But in that trial, look at the chemo arm. 75% undergo surgery. So of course it's worrisome, but it's more preeminent in the standard control arm with chemo only. Very interesting data. Let's go to the next slide. So if you look at what was described, what could be the uh, the pitfalls, right? The failures reason. So the reason for not completing neoadjuvant treatment include, of course, disease progression, but only more or less one person in both arms. So study drug toxicity, 6% in nevo chemo, 7% in the chemo, and an additional other 7% in the chemo arm, which might be, we don't know why, but a refusal of the patient to continue, which is not observed in the nevo arm. So nothing unexpected here, and maybe in line with what we would have in the daily practice without measuring it. The reasons for cancelling surgery in the nevo and chemo arm, 28 patients, in the chemo arm, 37 patients. So disease progression, Nivo chemo 7%, chemo 9%. So that reality of this disease. Adverse event, Nivo and chemo and chemo had 1% each. So the question is, what are the other reasons? So you have patient refusal, unfitness for surgery due to poor lung function after induction, unresectability. Uh, this is for Nivo chemo and more or less the same thing with chemo with probably a little uh, more of a refusal or unresectability, but the same pattern. What I would mean by that is at least what you can conclude is that Nivo does not fragilize the concept of neoadjuvant chemo IO. However, the question of neoadjuvant treatment beyond stage three is, is it the best strategy, for example, for stage one BN2? This question remains open. I let it to your scrutiny. Looking at NADIM2 trial on the next slide, you can see that patients with definitive surgery were 93% in the nevo chemo, 69% in the chemo. So again, we'd like to say that there are more definitive surgery when you give IO. And you can see that the reasons being adverse event is very low and only 1.7% in the NIVO chemo and not suitable for surgery, which can be refusal, disease progression, or not resectable tumors are way higher in the chemo. So in all in all, uh, I would say the benefit of tumor shrinkage related to the immunotherapy looks like to make surgery easier to perform. So let's keep in mind what we have in the, on the next slide about neoadjuvant immunotherapy. These are the numbers for 7 to 18% of patients not undergoing surgery. Remember, please, that it's also the case in the control arms, meaning that the strategy is something to question in the tumor board and also to question with your surgeon who might not like it. And remember that there is a, a certain number of grade 3, 4 toxicity on the right column when you give neoadjuvant chemo or chemo IO, which ranges between 10 and 30% of the patient and has to be taken into account and very well managed again using the guidelines in place. So as a conclusion on the next slide, fragilizing, endangering the delivery of radical local intervention, namely surgery here, might be a risk created to the use of innovative IO-based neoadjuvant strategies. It doesn't look particularly today to be the case for anti-PD-1, anti-PD-1 chemo, followed by surgery, but with the new combinations, it might come and we need more numbers and more data particularly in the perspective of establishing new standards in early stage 1B and 2 non-small cell lung cancer.
Immunotherapy-rated toxicity are as expected in early non-small-cell lung cancer and comparable to stage 4. And in this early disease setting, it's very important to be familiar with toxicity management and to strictly follow the guidelines in a very conservative way. And with this, I thank you for your wonderful attention and I hope I can meet you discussing this later down the road. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.